Before we dive into God's word, there's um, some things I want to share with you. Uh, first of all, I think most of you are aware that my brother uh, passed away two weeks ago. Uh, Proverbs 18.24 says, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And in my case, I was really blessed uh, that they were the same person. My brother uh, was my best friend, and I'm going to miss him a lot. And I thank you for your prayers and your cards, uh, your notes of encouragement. Thank you. Um, and I want to thank our church staff. They were so great. They told me, go and don't worry about things. We've got everything under control. And they were just so gracious. We have a great church staff team. And uh, it was a little worrisome to me that when I came back, things were going so well without me. But um, I really, really appreciate it. Second, you heard Stephanie mention about lake baptism. And I just can't stress how important that next step is. So many of you believe but you've not yet taken that next step of actually identifying publicly with Jesus. Lake baptism is an incredible, memorable experience. And if you've not taken that next step of being baptized, I really wanna encourage you to come and talk to us in the next step room and, and take that next step. Finally, uh, yesterday was 9-11, the 20th anniversary, and that just doesn't seem possible, does it? Uh, for many of us, we remember that day so vividly. And for our church, uh, since we are in a community that is on the tip of the spear, uh, where when the nation goes to war, it's not just a theory or it doesn't just affect the, somebody else, it affects our neighbors, it affects us. I, I know that many of you went to war in Iraq and Afghanistan and you've been deployed. And I, I think it would be a wise thing to do for us simply to pray and ask God to continue to teach us what we need to know in the aftermath of 9-11. So would you join me and let's pray for a moment. Father, I, I think we have to confess that we didn't learn everything we should have learned from 9-11. And we came together briefly as a nation and then, and then we, we went back to leaning on our own understanding. And our own understanding is not very good. So Father, would you please help us all not just remember, but actually live in that spirit of loving our neighbor, of standing together, of remembering to support those who fight for our country. I know, Father, that there are some who, even today, they bear the wounds of battle, either internally or externally, and I pray, God, that you would comfort them for those families that lost loved ones in these battles that have raged for 20 years, would you, God, bring comfort to them? I know the hurt still is there. God, you will speak to us if we'll just listen. So help us to listen to you and to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So have you ever thought about what makes or breaks a relationship? Like, why did your first marriage end? Or why did your second marriage end? Or why did your third marriage end? Why is it that sometimes a friendship reaches a certain level and then it just seems to blow up or it just dies of neglect? Why is it that some of you have a child and you are just really attached to that child and you've got another child just a couple of years younger and you cannot connect to that child for love nor money? You, you, you want a close relationship with them, but they are distanced. They're far away. They don't call. They don't write. They rarely come to see you. Why is that? What makes or breaks a relationship? 
And let's be honest, some of you, if you were truthful, you would say, I used to feel really close to God, but I don't feel that way so much anymore. Well, what happened? What made or broke that relationship? Over the next four or five weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. What makes or breaks relationships. And we're going to rest this whole series on two foundational truths. The first foundational truth is real simple, but it's very difficult to do. When it comes to relationships, you are responsible for you. Just that simple. Have you ever tried to change another person? Does it work? No, it does not. It does not. Because everybody is responsible for their own life. We can try to change somebody else. We can try to steer them in a different direction. But especially in relationships, I think it is easy to point to the other person and say, it's your fault. If you weren't so temperamental, if you weren't so much the way you are, if you didn't come from your family background, then, then we wouldn't have any problems. That's the easy way. But here's the truth. In a relationship, you know this. There's always two sides. And you can only control your side. The second foundational truth we're going to deal with is a healthy relationship with God teaches you how to have healthy relationships. If you have a healthy relationship with God, you will learn how to do all the other relationships in your life. Just a few verses before chapter 7, the scripture that, did I forget to read the scripture? Oh, everybody in the tech booth is just nodding their head. Okay. Can I get some grace today? I'm not all here. Kind of disturbs me that a lot of you are just sitting there going, no, no grace for you, Clay. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to read that passage in a minute. I'll just read it. We won't worry about the video. Okay. This is how you know it's live, people. <sighs> so in the scripture I'm about to read, a few verses before, there is Matthew 6.33, which says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, get your relationship with God right. Live by God's kingdom values, and everything else gets taken care of. Every other relationship you will have clarity about. So, let me go back now and read this scripture to you. This is from Matthew 7, 1 through 6. This passage is all about relationships. It's about relationships with God and your relationship with other people. It goes like this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? And when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first Take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So what is Jesus saying to us? In this passage, I think he wants to teach us three things. 
He wants to teach us, do not be a critic. He wants to teach us to be self-aware, and he wants to teach us, guard what is sacred. So let's take each of those piece at a time. First of all, Jesus says, don't be a critic. He uses this phrase, uh, do not judge, lest you be judged. The word judge is a legal word. It was used of a decision in court, but just like us, they took that word in the ancient world out of the legal context and made it apply across the board. And so what Jesus is saying, don't be an unjust critic. Don't make decisions about other people's judgments, their decisions. Don't set yourself up as having superior knowledge or authority. At my brother's funeral, or after my brother's funeral, we did what Southern families do. We went uh, back to the house and we ate. And of course, we had fried chicken, but because we are a cattle family, we also had some prime rib. Sometimes it's good to be a cattle family. So I'm in line getting some food, and I heard one of the older ladies there say, I just can't believe he wore that to a funeral. And I thought about that. I thought about what she was really saying. I thought, okay, she's really saying that she gets to decide what is appropriate to wear to a funeral. And, and I thought about how I don't remember the Apostle Paul writing, in the church there are to be apostles, preachers, teachers, servants, those who are gifted with healing, those who are the authority on funeral dress. It's not there. And of course, then I realize I am judging her for judging somebody else. So, so doesn't it make sense? Now what Jesus goes on and says in verse 2, when he says, for in the same manner you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All of you now are judging me for judging her for her judging him. And you wonder why we have trouble in our country. This is what we do. And I think in every one of us, there's this little strand of perfectionism. And you say, well, I'm not a perfectionist. Listen, I, I've been to guys' houses, and you go into their barn or into their shop, and I mean, every tool is in its place. Everything is organized. It's all right there. It is perfection. You go into their house, looks like a bomb went off. And, and, and here's what that guy has done. He has decided, I can't be perfect everywhere, so I'm just going to be perfect there. And that's what we all do. We set ourselves up as a judge, and Jesus is saying, look, you can't even keep your own standards. You can't be perfect everywhere. And so you have taken that one area where you feel competent, where you feel like you're in control, and you've decided you get to be the authority. See, being a critic sets you up as the authority and you assume, an, you assume a knowledge you don't have. Jesus says, don't do this. So before you judge, listen and understand. Now, I thought about this older lady who I know very well who made this critical remark. I don't realize, you know, she, she's at the stage of her life now. She is seeing people that she knew as babies, and they're dying, like my brother. 
And that just reminds her of a, of a time in life when she was a lot younger and where people did dress up for funerals. And she didn't, she didn't have to worry about it being a young person that she knew when he was a baby. She could remember it was only old people who died back then. And I understood that she wasn't just grieving or criticizing, she was actually grieving being old. And I know some of you, that is such a far, foreign concept, but I can tell you, when you reach a certain age, you start to grieve that you are not young. That's what's going on. Now, I want to make everybody uncomfortable. Do you ever find yourself being a critic of God? See, I, I think we do this more than we realize. Uh, we pray, but we don't really call it a prayer, but we, we, we actually say in our head something like, well, God, I, just, I don't see why you do that. I don't see why that's happening. I don't agree with it. God, why, why did it have to be this way? Do, do you hear what you're doing? You're saying, God, I have appointed myself as the one who has more knowledge than you, and I have a better judgment of the world than you. So God, I'm gonna tell you what's wrong with the way you're doing things. I'm, I'm, you're gonna hear a lot of stories today about my brother's funeral and grief and all because that's where I am. And, it, and if you don't like that, tough. So, you know, you can imagine, you can imagine, I mean, I've just got, I've kind of got all these emotions running, you know, I've got some grief, some loss, but I've also got some anger. I've got some anger. I, I wanted to poke my brother in that casket and say, you get out of there, we got stuff to do. And I've been mad at God. Oh, I've turned to God for comfort and I felt his comfort, but I've also said to him, God, I just don't see, why him? Why now? Why did you let him get cancer? God, if you need a list of people who need to get cancer, I've got a list. Now, anger's part of grief. God knows that. I remember when my children were small, they would come up to me when they were two, three, four years old, and they would say, I'm so mad at you, Daddy. I'm going to hold my breath until you get me ice cream. Boy, that was a threat, let me tell you. I, I think sometimes that's the way our Heavenly Father must see us. He sees our anger. He knows it's just part of it. But I want to help you not get held down by your anger because let me tell you the other part of the story. What I'm learning to do again it seems like every time I lose someone, this is what I have to do again. I have to go back to my Heavenly Father and I have to say, I, I, I trust you see more than I see. I trust there is a plan that I don't understand. I, I trust that why ever cancer is in the world, you are at work and, and you're, you, you are gonna lead me past this. You're gonna lead me through this. I, I, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I wonder right now if you need to have that conversation with God. 
I wonder if some of you have just, you've not really been honest with God. You've been more in this critical position, and that's really why your relationship with God isn't going anywhere. I wonder if that's the conversation you need to have with God and say, God, there's just things I don't understand. I don't understand why this happened, but I'm going to trust you. I have no right to be your critic. Because let me tell you something, a critic never has a healthy relationship. A critic never has a healthy relationship. I, I was working cows not too long ago, um, and this guy, I was, I was going to buy some calves from him, and he had his ex-girlfriend as part of the crew. Bad idea. And I realized why he was and she was no longer they were. You understand? I understood why they weren't a couple because, I mean, from the minute we ran the first calf through the chute, I'm like, I'm going to go to the other side of the pens. These people couldn't get along. All they could do was criticize each other, and it hit me. You can't have a healthy relationship if that's the way you are. And some of you, that's why your relationships aren't healthy. And, and that's why your relationship with God's not healthy, because you have put yourself in the critic's position. Jesus says, don't be a critic. Now, here's the second thing Jesus tells us. He says, be self-aware. And the illustration that Jesus gives us is really is pretty funny. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think every time Jesus taught this, people had to laugh, because it's funny. And I just want you to see this, so I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Bay is going to be a good volunteer. Come on up, Bay. Did you see him raise his hand right there? Okay, so while Bay's coming, let me tell you that the word sawdust here can also just mean a piece of chaff. Okay, just can you see this? Okay, raise your hands if you can see it. Okay, a couple of you can't, go to the eye doctor. Okay, we're going to put this in your eye. No, we're not going to do that. I just want you to hold that up on your cheek. Yeah, just like that. Okay. Bay, you know, you, you got something in your eye there, right there on your cheek. I'm going to help you get that. Yeah. yeah? How much do you trust me? Not very much. Though. Not very much. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I think I can get it for you. Let me get a little closer. You are a trusting soul. I would be backing up and down on that floor already. Thank you, Bay. you're on camera. You're not... <laughs> hey, hey, I'm the comedian. You're the straight man here. Okay. So you see how stupid that is, right? How many of us are guilty of it? Yeah. You know why? Because it's easier. It means I don't have to take responsibility. It means I don't ever have to do any of the hard work of looking at myself. And if I actually do see something in somebody that I have a relationship with and, and, and it's kind of affecting us and I don't do my own work, I will hurt the other person more than their original wound. Richard Foster is a Christian writer and thinker that I respect very much. And he was in prayer and he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, I want you to go to this certain man and I want you to confess your sins. And so Richard 
called the man up and said, I feel the Holy Spirit has led me to call you and that I need to go and confess my sins to you. And so the man said, well, you know, let's set the time. They set the time. Richard went to his house. And after some pleasantries, they sat down. And then, and then Richard uh, started to confess his sins. And the man said, wait, 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 wait. Before you confess your sins, I want to confess my sins to you. And he began to confess his sins for an hour and a half. And when he finished, he said to Richard, do you still want me to hear your confession? So, so what would you answer? In that situation, what would you have said? I mean, would you rather confess your sins to someone who admits that they have just as many faults as you, maybe more? Or would you rather confess your sins to someone who pretends to be perfect? You know what I have learned? And, and I have this streak. I, I want everybody to think I've got it all put together. It's exhausting to live that way. It is exhausting to try and pretend like I've got it all together. In fact, Jesus says, you hypocrites. It's interesting. The word hypocrite in Greek also can mean an actor. Someone who wears a mask. Someone who is pretending to be someone they are not. And if you've ever done any acting, even if you're gifted at being up on stage, you know it's exhausting. It's exhausting going through life trying to pretend you are someone you're not. Trying to pretend that you're better than you are. That's why I want our church to be a place of grace. Where we can actually say, I'm messed up. You're messed up. All of us are messed up. Okay, that would be a good place for an amen. Let's try this again. I'm messed up. You're messed up. We're all messed up. Amen. Yeah, you're real strong on that. That's good. That means we don't have to pretend we've got it all put together. We can actually take time to say, before I criticize you, I'm going to actually ask God what's in my eye. So how do you do this? There's an easy way and a healthy way. Easy way is to ask your spouse or your best friend, what's wrong with me? When they get done, after about four hours, you're going to be in a fetal ball on the floor sobbing. Don't do that. Instead, start simply by asking the question, why? Why does this bug me? Why does this irritate me? Why does that person... Uh, bother me so much? Who do they remind me of? Does, is, am I triggered by some childhood hurt or wound? Because let's face it, everybody's got childhood hurts and wounds. Nobody had a perfect childhood. You know, is, it, is there something going on at work that reminds me of something that went on in high school? You've got to have this self-awareness. And, and then actually ask God to assist you in this. Psalm 139, verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is why practicing a spiritual discipline, the spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study are so important. Because in Bible study, you read the story and you realize it's not just a story, it's also about you. For example, you read the story of David and Bathsheba, 
right? David makes this horrible, impulsive decision, all kinds of horrible consequences. And then you realize it's your story. How many of you have ever made an impulsive decision and it had long-lasting consequences you're still living with? Okay, the rest of you, you will, right? That's my story. It's your story. And now all of a sudden it changes. When I read that story, I'm reminded to say, God, show me some of the impact that impulsive decision still has and help me own it. This is why prayer is so important, to say, God, show me my blind spots. Show me where I am not aware of my own sin, my own faults, my own failures. This is one of the reasons you need to be in a life group. So you can develop a friendship with someone who's wiser than you, and you can go to them and ask them for some feedback. This is the role of a spiritual mentor. Show me, hey, help me get in touch with why this is an issue. This is why sometimes you need to go to a counselor. A counselor can help you see things you can't see. And if you're a parent, this is vital. No matter how old your children are, don't make your kids responsible for your stuff. Now, let me tell you a little story about that. So when my kids started driving, you know how kids are when they start driving? They want to drive everywhere. So apparently they could no longer ride to church with us. So after a couple of weeks, I noticed they were not in church. My wife was in church. The ones that couldn't drive were in church, but the ones that could drive were not here. And so I, I said to them, said, where were you? Well, Dad, we, were, we, we slept in. Our alarm didn't go off. Please. I'm not as dumb as I look. Okay. So we talk about it, and, and I realize this is one of those times where I can put my fist down or I can kind of go, you know, I need, I need to let them make some choices. So this is what we worked out. You need to be either in worship or in life group. Doesn't matter which. You need to be learning the word of God. Doesn't matter which, pick which one. You don't have to tell me. I just, I, that, I think as long as you're in school, you know, that's a reasonable assumption. Okay, Dad, we decided we could live with that. So next Sunday, I noticed they are not in worship again. And after church, after the morning gets over, I see them coming out of the student building where they have been in life group. Now here's the catcher. Their mother was their life group leader. And I got triggered. I had a beam in my eye. You like your mother better than you like me? I'm the anointed preacher of God's word. Besides that, I wrote your mother's lesson for her. Hi, why are you over there instead of in here? And, and it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that's your issue, Clay. You want everybody to like you. Isn't it better for your kids to rebel by going and learning the Bible from their mother than learning the Bible from you? No, it's not okay, Lord. I had to own it as my stuff. Self-awareness. And let me tell you the last little part of the story. Here's the really cool thing. All three of my children now are adults. All three of them are in church. And I think maybe it was because I didn't put my stuff on them. Because God told me not to. 
Hey, if you're married, this is, I don't think you can have a healthy marriage without some self-awareness. If you find yourself in marriage always pointing and saying, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, you're missing something. You're missing something. You gotta own your own stuff. And I think you need to apply this to your relationship with God. If you really pray, Lord, show me, show me. You need to be ready to hear God point out a beam in your eye. I've I've prayed that prayer. I've, I've said, God, show me where I am lacking. And I have felt God sometimes say to me, well, get comfortable. I have felt God say to me, you know, Clay, I really am disappointed in you. No surprise. You knew that that wasn't a healthy thing to do. That's just falling back into your old pattern of temptation. I want to deliver you from that. But when I am really still and I know that he is God, the message I get from God most often is, I know, I understand. I understand why that's a temptation for you. I understand why you struggle, but you are still my child. I am still holding you. You're still in my arms. And listen, if I can give you any reason to follow Jesus Christ, that's the number one reason. Yes, heaven and hell, real important. Don't misunderstand me. But to know that you are profoundly loved by your heavenly Father, even when you have beams falling out of your eyes, there's nothing better than that. Nothing. Without self-awareness, relationships never find health. Without self-awareness, relationships never find health. So how self-aware you, where are you in your marriage, with your kids, your friends, and God? So far, Jesus has taught us, don't be a critic, be self-aware. The last thing he's going to talk to us about is guard what is sacred. And again, he uses humor to make his point. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and burn and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, dogs in the ancient world were scavengers. I know a lot of us, we treat our dogs like kings and queens. In the ancient world, dogs were considered unclean. They were not desirable animals. Do you give a dog something that's holy? When my Aunt Iris and Uncle J.N. celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, they had a standing rib roast to serve. I know some of you today are going to go out and have to order a steak because I've used a couple of examples about standing rib roasts. I get that. And so when the party was over, there was about half of it left. And so they took it out and they set it in the car, the back seat of the car, and they left the door open. The party was at their son's house, Ross. Ross had a Labrador retriever. They come out of the house, and that dog had gotten up in that car, torn through the tinfoil, and was gnawing on the last bit of meat in that standing rib roast. Uncle J.N. had a little temper. He said, I'm going to kill that dog. Ross said, no, Daddy, we've got too much invested in him now. (laughs) 
Our, our prime rib roast for dogs? I could know a couple of you are saying, well, yeah, I give my dog that prime rib roast every night. And it's like, I want to be your dog. <laughs> but no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't give a dog something like that. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you've got to guard what's holy. And then he uses the illustration of don't cast your pearls to the pigs. In the ancient world, pearls represented beauty and knowledge. The Greek word, by the way, for pearl is margarita. Now, some of you need to cast your margaritas before the pigs, I'm telling you. I know that is a dad joke, and the staff told me don't use it, but I just wanted to. If you cast a pearl before a pig, what's the pig do? He chomps on it to see if it is an acorn, and when he finds out it's not an acorn, pigs in those days would have still had their tushes, and they would have, they would have gone towards you, and they would have threatened to, to rip you up. God wants to do something holy in your life. God wants to do something special and unique in you. That's what the word holy means. Something that will be done not in everybody's life, but in your life. And if you let someone like a critic come in and take charge of your life, if you let a critic determine your value, you will never fully embrace what holy work God wants for you. If you let temptation from the Satan come in and, and claim your life and keep you unaware then you will never get all the holy work God wants to do in your life. So you've got to guard what is holy. And the best way to do that is hold your boundaries. And you say to the critic, and you say to the temptations that Satan sends, no, uh-uh, you don't get to determine my life. You don't get to determine what God wants to do in my life. You say to all those voices from the past, I'm not going to listen to you because I know that my heavenly father loves me so much. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for my sins and to save me and to give me a life now that is amazing, special, holy. What? is blocking the holy work of God in your life. The voice of the critic, your own lack of awareness, or are you one of those people who you just don't have any boundaries and you're saying to the dogs and the pigs, come on, just attack me, it's okay. Folks, that's not a way to live. Don't throw away the holy sacrifice of Jesus. Now, some of you here today watching online, you may have never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Today, I want to tell you, Jesus wants to do something special and unique in your life. It starts with him forgiving your sins and inviting you to follow him on this amazing adventure in the kingdom of God. And if you haven't taken that next step, today's your day. Today's your day. Embrace that good gift of God. Some of you I know, you say, well, I've done that. But let's be honest, you've been critical of God. You haven't done the hard work of being self-aware. And God's saying it's time for you to quit living in dreamland, blaming everybody else. I want you to get in touch 
with who I made you to be. It's time to confess some sin. It's time to guard the holy work that God wants to do in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good you are to us. Now, I want to pray for every person watching, every person in the room, at all the campuses, and I pray, God, that, that you would show us our next step, that you would show us the holy work you want to do in us. Help us to guard it. Show us our flaws and our sins so that they no longer govern us. They're no longer a weight to carry. Deliver us from expectations of perfection and just trust in your grace. And I, I pray especially for people who don't know Jesus that today they'd embrace him as Savior and Lord. Ask all of this in the mighty name of the Holy One, Jesus. Amen.